Bugle, audio newspaper for a visual world. Hello, Buglers, and welcome to issue 4164 of the Bugle, audio newspaper for a visual world with me, Andy Zaltzman, the five-time winner of the... uh, What was it again? Oh, never mind. It's Thursday the 27th of August, uh, not for the first time, and I'll venture not for the last uh, either. I hope not. Anyway, uh, I'm live in London, and if you told someone standing right here 3,000 years ago that uh, today a 45-year-old second-generation lapsed Jew would be recording a podcast with two guests, one in Australia, one in India, via the internet on this very spot, well, you would have been met with some very blank faces and possibly an invitation to sharpen a piece of flint and nip up to the woods to kill some dinner. But that is... Exactly what is happening right now. I'm in the shed, and joining me uh, from Sydney, Australia, it's Alice Fraser. Hello, Alice. Hello, Andy. Hello, Buglers. Uh, I am indeed in Sydney, Australia, and uh, it's quite nice here, which is which is a change for right. the world. Yeah, I mean that is that is the best the world has achieved this year. I think uh, outside the cricket bubble, I think <laughs> quite nice is as good as the planet can get right now. Um, uh, what, what's making it quite nice? Well, I've just moved my dad out of uh, the flat we were sharing into his own house. He's bought a, a house, and so it's been unpacking boxes and looking at memories and All throwing right. them away. <laughs> a metaphor for humanity itself. Um, and joining us from Mumbai, India, where will uh, Mumbai sit on the quite nice scale to tell us it's Aditi Mittal. Oh, hello, Andy. Hello, Bugler. So nice to be here. Uh, Andy, I mean, I think it's now a well-known fact that I don't engage with the outside world because my own mania has kept me pretty busy uh, (laughs) during this pandemic. In fact, I recently uh, got a dog, uh, which is uh, the wrong way to say it because the dog got me. Uh, At this this point, I am its designated poop and pee cleaner. Um, And that's pretty much what he looks at me as. So... um, going really well <laughs> it's going really well uh what's well, uh, great to have you back on the show uh it's uh, thursday the 27th of august 2020 and as always some sections of the belatedly remembering things that was it five time winner <laughs> very impressive still got it as always uh some sections of the bugle are going straight in the bin this week, stars and their tsars. Top celebrities reveal their favourite Russian tsars. Here, Justin Bieber lament the early and brutal death of young Fyodor II, whilst Halle Berry ponders how different the world today would be if baby tsar Ivan VI had ascended to the throne at a more mature age than two months old, whilst Taylor Swift explains why she named her new parrot Konstantin Pavlovich. Also in the bin, a pointless argument topic section. Well, this world is riven by furious disputes about issues of fundamental importance to our present, our future, and our understanding of the past. So, to help calm things down, we give you free, from the bugle, nine completely pointless topics for a social media spat. Enjoy a consequence-free bicker with an anonymous stranger that doesn't leave you trembling with existential dread at the true nature of humanity and the future of the planet on one or more of the following issues, about which it should be impossible to be provocatively incendiary. Issue one. Is it possible to drown a table? Two, do fish actually <laughs> like swimming? Three, should jiu-jitsu be compulsory for recovering librarians, or would they be better off learning the clarinet? Four, who would have been the better Formula One driver, composer Bedrick Smetana or painter Tintoretto? 
Five, do snakes have lungs? Six, is blinking overrated? Seven, <laughs> what is all the fuss about cushions? And eight, <laughs> carrots or tennis? And nine, uh, a list that b- was supposed to have nine things that uh, ended up with only eight. What's, what's going on with that? I, I, Andy, I tried a tweet today uh, where I was suggesting that, you know, you see people having arguments online all the time, but you don't know how qualified they are to their opinion and that we should have a ranked hierarchical caste system where what? people uh, get uh, assigned a certain font. And I said, for example, you're, if you're an idiot, you can still have an opinion. You just have to do it in Comic Sans. <laughs> I thought, a harmless joke. And then immediately people came out of the woodwork to tell me that, uh, that mocking Comic Sans is ableist. Yeah. And then nice. <laughs> then some people nice. told those people that actually mocking comics, Comic Sans isn't ableist because of these, and it just didn't evolve into a whole argument. <laughs> oh, very stressful. Very stressful times we live in, Andy. Such, uh, such, such is life. The, 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 I think this millennium will be remembered as the millennium of pointless disputes. Um, <laughs> Which it, maybe that'll be better than the second millennium, which was yeah. the the millennium of highly important disputes, not always <laughs> adequately resolved. We are recording on the twenty seventh of August. Happy Sackiversary to our Visigoth listeners. Um, One thousand six hundred and ten <laughs> years since, uh, well, your glory days really. Alaric and his rowdy rumpus squad finished their three day wild weekend in Rome. It began, of course, as a stag do for Alaric's uh, best friend Keith, and ended up changing the course of European history as one of the great empires crumbled. On this day, ninety years ago, in Canada. Five suffragist women sent a petition to the Governor-General to pose the landmark question to the Supreme Court, does the word persons, in Section 24 of the British North America Act 1867, include female persons? I mean, it's a difficult question to answer, and we mustn't judge it by today's standards. The initial response from the Canadian Supreme Court was, well, no, could you possibly make us a nice pot of tea? We have some very important men's legislating to do, and maybe some Battenberg cakes as well, if you're not too busy. This, however, was overturned in October 1929 in what became known as the Oh, OK, then, ruling that women are indeed persons. And that is a ruling that the Bugle fully supports. Um, <laughs> you better. Um, well, yeah, I mean, I don't know if you've got any views on that, uh, Aditi and Alice. I mean, uh, I mean, you know, I mean, hi- history changes our perspective on these things, and uh, you know, who knows? I mean, people used to think the Earth was flat. I mean, are women people really? Because um, I, I think, I think I've, I've spent so much time as a, a bunch of flesh hanging around a uterus um, that I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent sure there's even value in this argument. To be honest. <laughs> Tune in again in another 90 years' time for a final definitive verdict. (laughs) (laughs) Top story this week. Uh, As the old saying goes, how do you know if your planet is teetering on the edge of total catastrophe when 50,000 fish make a break for freedom? (laughs) Um, This uh, story really encapsulates uh, the planet that uh, not only are humans not really satisfied with what's going on, but uh, 50,000 salmon from a Scottish salmon farm escaped. Uh, This week they made a break for it. They've had enough. 
They've had enough of being associated with the human world. The enterprising aquatic ex escapologists waited under cover of darkness, un underwater, which looks quite dark, especially when it's dark, uh, until storm damage broke the mooring ropes of their Piscine penitentiary, and they bolted for it. Uh, sadly, 30,000 of the fish are estimated to have uh, passed away without even having the chance to become a delicious teriyaki kebab or anything. Uh, although, obviously, when the film version of this uh, heroic uh, breakout story is made, they'll make it um, appear that everyone made it to freedom apart from one fish to give the movie a proper tearjerker moment. Um, sadly, 125,000 of the other salmon at the farm were then punishment harvested as the <laughs> official them tried to... Uh, the, uh, <laughs> the officialdom tried to re-establish Piscopilin. Um, and the concern is that the, uh, the, uh, the escaped fish who have never known freedom in their young lives will now go absolutely nuts, drunk on the sweet nectar of liberty, and run out of their meagre resources of, uh, of cash within weeks. And inevitably there will be tension in the fishy hierarchy. The leadership will fracture into rival factions and a bitter internecine struggle will ensue. But we'll leave that out of the film as well. It spoils the sweet narrative of uh, freedom. Anyway... These Houdinis of the high seas are now reported to be uh, gathering support for further breakouts from other fish farms, causing panic in the frozen food industry. Alice, you are the Bugles um, um, fish escapology correspondent. I mean, where does this rank in your hierarchy of uh, great, uh, great fishy breakouts? I mean, this was an epic breakout, Andy. It was caused by uh, storm damage, and the storm in question was Storm Ellen, a reference here to a real storm and not to the recent scandalous revelations that the talk show fronted by Ellen DeGeneres <laughs> has a hostile backstage environment and toxic work culture. Uh, so so the, it's, an, it's a farm called the North Carradale Farm near Campbelltown, and it suffered damage to four of its ten fish pens. And even if I don't really understand what a fish pen is, I feel that I can deduce it from context. Context. And I definitely know that four out of ten is heaps when it's in fish. Uh, not heaps in a spelling test, heaps in a fish escape. Uh, but yeah, it's a, this is an amazing thing because 48,834 salmon escaped, 30,616 died, 125,000 were, as you say, punishment harbor, harvested. Which, wait, I don't understand how the harvesting became part of the escape story if it's a prison break a f ton of fish get shot by the guards if it's not a prison break the remaining fish should be treated as you know like respected prisoners the judas fish maybe to lead the other fish back home environmental campaigns have raised concerns about the escaped fish breeding with wild scottish salmon uh, which seems racist i don't know how but it does <laughs> just let them live the lives they want to live um uh, Aditi, I, I don't know if uh, the, 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 you know, the fish industry of India has been, uh, is now concerned about you know, copycat breakouts uh, across, uh, across the country. You know, um, actually, uh, Andy, I have to tell you, this story personally resonated with me very strongly uh, because it reminded me of that moment in Indian history uh, when uh, we raised the slogan, Salmon Go Back. Um, which, uh, which happened in uh, 1928, uh, you know, when the Simon Commission came to India uh, uh, in, a, in a commission of seven uh, your English MPs. And the Indians sort of, uh, you know, rose up in protest for representation. And uh, so this reminded me of that incident. And it, you know, actually warms my heart to imagine 50,000 salmon just breaking out of the shackles. <laughs> of this of their pens um just screaming like this is sparta <laughs> and 
because it's so beautiful to me uh, watch to watch them escaping because they're finally sort of reclaiming their lives because i have realized that as human beings <laughs> i was looking up should we should we be eating salmon right is salmon an endangered species um and no it's not no it's not uh, in fact google tells you you know what if you want to go ahead and have a couple of bites go ahead choose the wild alaskan ones cuz they're not as toxic <laughs> and so actually i realized that this article is uh, basically us going oh my god the food has escaped cuz <laughs> Because I don't think uh, that uh, this has uh, anything to do with us really caring about the salmon population, uh, about their feelings, uh, and so to me, I I support um, the salmon freedom movement uh, very strongly, <laughs> and uh, I hope even the ones that have been harvested as a protest, I mean, um, you know, as a sign of um, as a retaliation. uh to the ones the 50000 that have escaped i know that the 50000 that have escaped will carry the torch of freedom uh further out so many salmon are contained in these farms i'm hoping that this escape will uh balance the scales a little <laughs> boom boom i mean yeah. it's hard to know where to go after that it's a, <laughs> a story that's touched the world deeply i mean i love the idea of this being like a a, a spartacist revolution um and uh, if it's anything like spartacus the uh the tv series then uh, these salmon are going to be wearing <laughs> not nearly as many <laughs> just absolutely ripped salmon having a ridiculous <laughs> amount of sex and uh, destroying the roman empire as they do so um so uh, but so the question does arrive you know what let's look at the world the human world that these salmon are try- trying to escape from clearly it's a bit of a mess we've had yet more tragedies in america's ongoing battle with uh, with progress um and um uh, i mean like clearly these 50,000 salmon thought we don't need these land base excessively legged losers anymore we're better off uh, out of it and um well let's start with uh, with indian news uh, uh, aditi we've had uh, exam scandals here uh, in uh, in britain where um, our government has decided to really parade it's uh, fearless incompetence to a quite extraordinary um almost olympic level um mm-hmm. understand there's exam exam rows in india as well yes andy uh we have had the uh, we're currently in the middle of the protest against the uh, for the postponement of the jee and net admission exams uh, jee stands for the joint entrance exam uh, and net stands for the national eligibility and entrance test uh jee is for engineering and architecture courses and net is for medical courses uh the, the exams uh, have are being uh, currently scheduled for september 1st but have already been postponed twice due to of course uh, i don't know if anyone said this before on this podcast unprecedented times um <laughs> and we are currently india is currently number 1 yes thank you at 70000 cases a day um These are kind of like the Indian SATs, which we are currently calling the Indian WTFs. Uh, students, <laughs> students have protested by wearing uh, by wearing black armbands and changing their display pictures to black, which uh, several Indian celebrities mistook for a Black Lives Matter protest sign. Uh, after they discovered it's for our own Indians only, uh, they changed their DPs back to something that can be jerked off to, and that's as important a service for our students as any. In fact, uh, one of the beautiful things that emerged out of this protest is, uh, you know, the signs that uh, students are holding up. And uh, one of the students has uh, held up a sign saying, "We want to be doctors." 
please don't make us patients um and i think that that's wonderful i think that's wonderful it's also kind of saddening because it makes me realize a lot of really creative people are going to be going into the sciences at this point at this point greta thunberg has tweeted in support of the postponement of these exams which is insane it's the ultimate endorsement because this kid spent some time ignoring exams <laughs> when there was no pandemic and it was really good for her um and there have of course also been uh, floods in three major states in india which is further exacerbating the problems that students have had at this point it's like noah offloading all the animals from the ark and saying okay guys i don't know what the world is going to be like when we find land in terms of food or danger but you have to f- enough to repopulate your entire species <laughs> almost instantly also no pressure but anyone up for an exam <laughs> At this point what this government has done is that they are regulating the exam dates from the center but the pandemic handling has to come from the state and this is the ultimate form of dadness by the central government where he's like oh my god i need to go out golfing so i'm going to leave my kid in a car on a hot summer's day with the windows rolled up and then the kid dies and he takes him home and shouts at the mother saying it probably happened because you haven't been giving him enough water now he's dead <laughs> whose fault is that i mean this is the education ministry doubling down on a date like a really persistent dude on bumble that you've been chatting with but don't feel safe enough to go out with yet <laughs> and this is the thing like rising hate scams lack of education won't kill us but postponing of exams will and look the dates have already been shifted enough and multiple times um and they say um but they say that they have to do the exams right now because it might lead to a log jam uh, of admissions in successive years because medical schools have a fixed schedule and i'm like can we change the schedule of medical schools cuz during a five month pandemic i don't know if anyone said this before but unprecedented times it's not like medical school schedules are unchangeable but no 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 oh my god the academic year the academic year i'm like you know what you can't spell pandemic without academic you can <laughs> That's why I never appeared for this exam. But but I guess the idea here is to let a bunch of students die in the entrance exam itself so that there'll be fewer applicants in the colleges. This reminds me of my brother's father-in-law who uh, when he gets a bunch of resumes for a job will split them in half, throw half in the bin and say I don't want anyone unlucky working for me. <laughs> That's so messed up. That's what we do. That's what we do with all all job interviews in Britain. It's just yeah, before we we rip them in half and chuck them in the bin, we check what school and university that person went to, make sure they're <laughs> made of the right stuff for this country. Yeah. Um, uh, um, uh, I mean, has there not been a thought, Aditi, to to, to take an example from uh, Indian cricket? The Indian Premier League cricket competition has been moved to the United Arab Emirates. Could they not just make all Indian students sit their exams in Dubai? <laughs> uh you know uh the the reputation that we have garnered through this pandemic has been i don't know if anyone has ever said this before but unprecedented <laughs> so in <laughs> indians uh before the pandemic were not super welcome anywhere else um and now uh, i reckon it's going to get lesser 
<laughs> for the Indian media, this situation is a gold mine because after the exams, there will be a series of heartwarming stories about the student who was tied to a chair and had to pee in a diaper and survive <laughs> off of hair and socks while being stabbed <laughs> continuously in the forehead with a plastic spoke, and they still managed to get ninety-five percent. <laughs> this super spreader was also a super scorer because there is. Literally, no stone-cold-hearted decision of the government that the media cannot turn into a heartwarming story. <laughs> Britain news now, and Britain has been racked by a fundamental argument about its national identity yet again. After the BBC announced that the last night of the Proms concert, the annual flag-waving uh, festivity of uh, patriotic uh, music, will only include instrumental versions of the songs Land of Hope and Glory uh, and Rule Britannia, Land of Hope and Glory, which uh, those unfamiliar with might be surprised to discover is actually about Britain, and Rule Britannia, uh, which, uh, despite being a popular song, appears to be a memo that got lost somewhere in Boris Johnson's intray underneath a bigger memo <laughs> reminding him to dick around, talk shit, abdicate responsibility and blame anything that moves. Um, it's uh, it's been a fascinating look into uh, the way Britain is uh, at the moment. This uh, this concert. I once went to a thing called Proms in the Park, where they have a sort of concert in Hyde Park, and they show uh, live TV relay from uh, the Albert Hall of the the um, the, uh, the the concerts going on there and the annual Proms festivities. And I can safely say it was probably the dullest evening of my life. And bear in mind <laughs> the number of my own gigs I've been to. That is, you know, that is. <laughs> Yeah, a high, a high accolade. Um, you know, it's. I mean, it's not really my thing. These kind of, uh, these kind of, uh, you know, musical, uh, uh, musical acts of patriot. I'm not. I'm not. To be honest, I've always struggled with patriotism. It's just not really, not really my favourite hobby. I prefer. I prefer cricket. Um, and you know, it's, it's not really. You know, other people, you know, do like patriotism, but don't like cricket. Each to their own. We all find what we can find to keep ourselves distracted from reality. Whether it's immersing ourselves in the glorious exploits of elite-level sports players and athletes, or waving a little flag and singing objectively silly and impressively anachronistic songs. So the. Um, it's uh, so. What happened is the BBC said they were, they were going to do a musical-only version of these two songs. Um, uh, then the, uh, the the right-wing media largely jumped on the saying this is another attack on British British tradition. Uh, the song "Rule Britannia" contains the lyric "Britons never, never, never shall be slaves." Um, and uh, Boris Johnson said, "I think it's time we stopped our cringing embarrassment about our history." Now, let's give him some credit he's doing his level best to ensure that we're no longer cringingly embarrassed about our past because this is heftily <laughs> camouflaged by cringing embarrassment about our present and a stomach churning sense of dread about our future which is probably the best way to deal with any lingering historic guilt we've got and also cringing embarrassment a, a cringing embarrassment is the flip side of flag waving pride i don't think you can have one without the other personally i can't really be bothered with either of them but that doesn't mean i don't acknowledge both the great achievements of britain's past and its deep scarring sins domestically and internationally that have shaped britain and indeed the world as it is today uh, but I, I, you know, i'm just not it's not really my thing flag waving pride or cringe and also cringing embarrassment that's what you feel when you watch the eurovision song contest or remember <laughs> theresa may giving a conference speech or watch highlights of england losing to new zealand in 1986 in a test series or think about having a prime minister who hid in a 
fucking fridge. That is cringing embarrassment. <laughs> cringing embarrassment does not quite cover slavery and the sins of empire. Stealing and murdering hundreds of thousands of people. Oh, it does make me blush. Ooh. Cringing embarrassment. He said we need to stop this self-recrimination and wetness. Is wetness? Wetness? Is it wet to think that maybe celebrating the lives of shysters like Robert Clive, as discussed on the Bugle, with big bronze snivelling statues? Which is the wetness there? Or the wetness of hiding in a fridge to avoid a journalist? Um, anyway, it's well, we been... Know, uh, we, know, we know from the reaction to the Cardi B song that many Conservative yes. public figures disapprove of wetness, and I yes. am tempted to make a cheap joke about all wetness disappearing in the presence of Boris Johnson, but I'm better than that, you're better than that. And we this all know he meant yeah, wetness in the flaccid that. British private schoolboy vernacular sense and not in its diametrically opposed female moistness sense. <laughs> <laughs> Family show. <laughs> but people are accusing Boris Johnson of cynically attempting to provoke outrage in the culture war by criti- criticising the BBC over their decision uh, about the proms. Uh, if you don't know what proms is, it's like the prom in American schools, except nothing to do with school or students and more of a week of musical concert- concerts with some banger karaoke sing-alongs like <laughs> Jerusalem and God Save the Queen and thousands of people singing along to classical music because you're partying like it's 1899. <laughs> <laughs> This year, of course, because of coronavirus concerns, the concert will be very different. With fewer performers, concerns about how spitty horn sections in the orchestra can get. I read an article about this. Hot tip, extremely spitty. Uh, and there will be no audience to sing the words along anyway, whether they decide to have words or not. Here's a hint. You can sing along at home and nobody will know whether you're singing the words in a racist way, singing the words in a way that patriotically celebrates all the good things about British culture, or as the vast majority of people who sing along at concerts do, singing the words wrong as we all know the actual lyrics of rule britannia are rule britannia britannia rule the waves la 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 waves <laughs> people then spent hundreds of hours arguing about how cynical they thought this move had been by boris how distracted from the main issue they were or weren't and whether the bbc are pandering leftist quizlings betraying the glorious spirit of the british people or actually quite fascist really and only pandering to the leftists in order to conceal the hideous fact that they're actually fascistic bootlicking authoritarian kinksters with a penchant for being whipped by private schoolboys over a mahogany desk with your face bar- buried in a bowl of eaten mess while an oil painting of a mitford sister in a safari suit watches disapprovingly <laughs> <laughs> oh, Sorry, what was the main issue? What was the main issue we were talking about? Yeah, the BBC claims the decision, as you say, was prompted by issues of you know COVID transmission, and there being fewer performers. Obviously, the the right wing press uh, reported this as being the BBC being a front for a Marxist conspiracy to destroy Britain, um, and uh, basically ran a headline saying BBC bans anyone from singing ever uh, for the rest of time. Um, a BBC spokesman said for the the avoidance of any doubt, these songs will be sung next year. Now, obviously, this is the BBC being lackeys to the government, a tub thumping jingoist blathering on endlessly about Team GB. Such is the the curse of the BBC it simply cannot and will not win well this is the thing that I would like to note for everybody listening whether in the UK or not the proms haven't happened yet yes well everyone is already outraged at what they assume will happen 
Oh yeah, well that's that, that's the key with outrage. You have to get your <laughs> outrage in early these days. There's no point waiting for something to happen to be outraged about. Uh, Land of Hope and Glory, for the sake of BBC Balance, um, they uh, they are they're j- just hearing actually they are going to uh, now sing Land of Hope and Glory, but balance it out uh, with a version uh, entitled Land of Despair and Rubbishness, just to make sure that we get both sides <laughs> of the picture. And David Lammy, the Labour MP, accused the government of trying to distract from its own, quotes, relentless incompetence. Now, I think this is a this is basically a good two-words summation of the Johnson regime. So, relentless... In, I mean, at least with Theresa May, the incompetence lacks that fevered intensity that the Johnson <laughs> junta has brought to the task. It's more a rubbish village fate where they forgot to order any tables. All the raffle prices had to be balanced on the back of the vicar who crouched on all fours for the whole afternoon and where the food was ordered for the wrong month so the sausages had gone mouldy and there was a wasp's nest in the apple bobbing bucket. That was Theresa May level incompetence, but this relentless incompetence of John, that's a whole new level of commitment. <laughs> well, they say women can multitask, so she was probably doing some quite competent things with her left hand while doing the incompetence with her right. Uh, whereas Boris Johnson is charging right ahead at it with that patriarchal power. Uh, I like how Dave, uh, David Lammy said the Prime Minister was trying to distract the public in a pathetic way. He said he'll take any opportunity to start a culture war thus uh, Lammy succumbing to the irresistible urge to leap into the very trenches of that culture war by (laughs) drawing attention to the pointless fight that up until that point nobody knew needed having. (laughs) A couple of other Boris Johnson stories uh, this week. Um, He has rubbished suggestions which apparently emanated from... uh, Dominic Cummings's father-in-law, his uh, Machiavellian uh, advisor and b- behind-the-scenes shit-stirrer, uh, that, he, that Johnson could step down in six months' time due to ongoing health issues. He's labelled these suggestions as absolute nonsense and confirmed that he will, in fact, step down in six months due to massive incompetence and being poor <laughs> shitless of having to do a real job. Um, and there was this wonderful story about he, he gave a speech in a school as he attempted to... Uh, deflect blame for the exams fiasco um, and uh, whoever's the school librarian had lined up a spectacular array of books behind Johnson these books included uh, The Twits by Roald Dahl uh, <laughs> The, the, the subtle knife uh, Fahrenheit 451 and various other dystopian stories about the collapse of civilization. Um, it was uh, it was one of the most glorious. The subtle knife, uh, another one betrayed. It was one of the most gloriously subtle burns that has possibly ever been uh, ever been perpetrated in the the history of political burning. American news now, and, uh, well, I remember thinking uh, last weekend to myself, you know, Andy, there is simply not enough going on in this world that is harrowingly, ominously dystopian. Please, almighty Mm. Zeus, give us something, just something, that proves that all hope of normality, dignity, and indeed hope itself can be truly crushed, and we can all move on from the ephemeral affectation of optimism and accept that democracy and civilization are not only dead, but never truly alive. Well, my prayers have been well and truly answered by the Republican (laughs) Convention this week, which successfully boiled down every fear you could possibly have about the present and future of global politics into a week of soul-tremblingly weird propaganda. Woo-woo! Um, it's been, uh, been just bafflingly, uh, bafflingly terrifying. I mean, nothing says I'm cleaning the swamp more than a series of your own family members who found themselves baffingly in positions of alarming responsibility toadying up to Daddy D-Dog whilst others expectorate into the gaping mouth of American democratic tradition precedent and legality. Um... 
Uh, Alice, have you uh, have you been following the uh, the this this curious b- parade of bizarreness? I find myself almost incapable of watching more than 30 seconds of it without having an anxiety attack. And I don't even have anxiety. I just, I find it incredibly stressful to watch. And particularly the sort of, as you say, family circus shenaniganry. Because normally when politicians step forward into office holding the arms around the shoulders of their children and wives, what they're saying is, allow me to present to you the people who I will be ignoring for the next, uh, (laughs) the rest of the term of my duty. Uh, But he's presented his family as like, this weird internecine political familial hierarchical dynastic power system thing (laughs) and all of them are awful like none (laughs) of them are good (laughs) all Um, all of them not only are awful they look like they're having a horrible time being awful like if you're gonna be awful at least like enjoy it cackle a bit you know (laughs) <laughs> you know, this is so cute, Alice. It's so it's so endearing to watch someone be confused by that. I mean, <laughs> have you seen Indian politics? <laughs> that's literally all it is. But that's that's so nice. That almost gave me hope. Yes, I, I think this is the terrible pain of being an optimist or having a bad memory. One of the two. I'm always surprised by how awful people can be. <laughs> Optimism and amnesia are, are happy bedfellows. Um. <laughs> In other American news, naughty Christians news now, um, the Falwell family has found itself... Um, uh, caught up in a, 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 another scandal, Alice. You are our uh, um, high-profile uh, religious figures, being massively <laughs> hypocritical correspondent, um, <laughs> with your background in pretty much every major global religion. Um, so, to bring us, uh, tell us what the Fulwells have been up to. I mean, this is an amazing story, Andy. And by amazing, I mean a fairly straightforward story in which. Uh, the- <laughs> The Falwells, who are a religious uh, evangelical family who supported Trump, are now having been revealed with quite a lot of backing evidence that they supported Trump because he had evidence that they were having an affair with a young man. Uh, And the constitution of the affair is not entirely clear, um, but it seems to be being agreed by pundits that it was uh, Mr. Falwell watching Mrs. Falwell and this, uh, at the time, pool boy, who then they later went into business with and fell apart, and he then revealed all. um, I just feel like there are so many authoritarian figures in the evangelical religious community whose kink has to be hypocrisy like the only reason to get that high in one of these performative moral scolding communities is to dial up the orgasm you have when privately betraying the principles you publicly espouse you you know you can just not be a religious leader you know no one's going to get in trouble for having dirty sex in a hotel balcony if you're just Joe Bloggs you can join a community where that shit is encouraged you know <laughs> those sex-based functions do tend to involve way more admin than you would think i have a friend who's into sex parties and they're always doing spreadsheets and color coding consent symbolism and things like that it's quite heavy but I t- <laughs> sounds like what i do with cricket statistics <laughs> <laughs> but also i mean let's look at it from a biblical well, point Andy, of view may i recommend swinging <laughs> Well, I mean, you say that. Of course, England's greatest swing bowler, Jimmy Anderson, reached 600 <laughs> test wickets this week. So, uh, yeah, I've been doing a lot of swing, swinging oh, stats. Oh, boy, could he bowl a set of keys into a glass fishbowl? <laughs> I'll pass that on. 
um, um, it's working with the BBC <laughs> this week. Um, the, um, uh, but uh, biblically, I mean, people say it's hip- hypocritical, but it just very much depends which version of the Bible y- you mm. read. I mean, in the Gospel according to St. Alvin, there is, of course, the parable of the voyeuristic priest masturbating while his wife shagged a toy boy. Um, there's the miracle of the inexplicable threesome. And even if you go back to the Old Testament, which, uh, you know, of course, is the, uh, or, or as we like to call it, um, the correct testament, um, the, um, in the, the, the book of Proverbs, Proverbs, some 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 proverbs that, that, that justify the, the, what the full wells have done. Uh, it, Turn not your eyes away from your wife congruntling with a hot young dude, for the Lord also sees everything. Um, and uh, the perving husband strangles the early pigeon. I think that pretty much justifies. Uh, justifies. <laughs> oh yeah, very importantly, uh, let not your seed fall on barren ground. Let it fall on uh, one thousand thread count cotton sheets while your wife fucks <laughs> the poor boy. <laughs> There you go. It very much depends how you translate the original. Um, I feel like um, we should end this with amen. Yeah. <laughs> no, a man, one man, two oh. men, one wife. <laughs> Well, that brings us to the end of this week's Bugle. Um, thanks, uh, as always, to our wonderful guests. Uh, Aditi, great to have you uh, back on the show. Have you got any uh, shows or, or or recordings or podcasts or videos to alert our listeners to? Uh, you know, I would go back. My two Netflix specials, uh, one of them is called Things They Wouldn't Let Me Say. The other one is a part of the Comedians of the World series. It's called Girl Meets Mike. Uh, and the third one is called uh, Mother of Invention, which is on uh, nextupcomedy.com. And uh, please follow me on uh, Instagram where I have a meltdown live at 4 p.m. Uh, Indian <laughs> Standard Time every day. Uh, and follow me on Twitter uh, where you will regret following me on Twitter. Uh, and that's it. <laughs> Alice? Uh, I have a daily satirical news podcast oh, set in really? an alternate dimension called yeah. The Last Post. I have oh, a weekly podcast called Tea with Alice. I have a number of specials out available variously on Amazon Prime or uh, Next Up Comedy or other things. But you can get them all by going to patreon.com slash Alice Fraser for a behind the scenes look at my glamorous life. Uh, yes. Oh, before we go, uh, Bugle Merch is alive and well uh, uh, again uh, after a bit, of a, <laughs> a bit of a break to spend some time with itself and... <laughs> Think about what it, uh, what, what what is going on in the world. Uh, you can get T-shirts and socks and Christmas jumpers. There are a few Christmas jumpers left before we are sold out and uh, have to have a very difficult discussion about whether to have, have some more made or not. Uh, but anyway, go if, to the if website. If you do not buy, <laughs> if you do not buy Christmas jumpers now, you are a perfect metaphor for the ways in which people are incapable of long-term thinking. Just because it's hot where you are doesn't mean winter will never come. That's right. Set an example for the future generations of this planet by buying a Christmas jumper. (laughs) For them. (laughs) Uh, Thank you very much uh, for listening. Um, We'll have a sub-episode next week and then be back with a full episode in a couple of weeks' time. Uh, And we will play you out, as always, with some lies about our premium-level voluntary subscribers to join them and help keep the Bugle healthy, free and independent. Uh, Go to thebuglepodcast.com and click the donate button. James Conway is not that impressed with Pythagoras's theorem. Sure, says James, Big P might have had some funky ideas about planets, the Earth, music and stuff like that. But triangles? Give me a break. Seriously, who gives a flying one about right-angled triangles? I often go months without even thinking about them, let alone using one. Pythagoras should have kept that tedious guff to himself, the jumped-up protractor-waggling idiot. No offence. Strong point, strongly made, James. 
Similarly, Nick Anderson is not convinced that tardigrades, the self-styled most resilient living creatures in the world, are really up to much, objectively speaking. Well, well done them for being able to withstand extremes of heat, cold radiation, pressure and oxygen and water deprivation, says Nick. But what's the point if you're only one millimetre long? If I was only one millimetre long, I reckon I could probably roll with a few more of nature's punches too, rails Nick. Hef Davis acknowledges Nick's point, but adds that we need to, quote, give the tardigrades a bit of time. They're probably playing a long game, evolutionarily, and if we come back in one or two million years' time, I reckon we'll see tardigrades about an average of five to six, maybe six and a half feet tall, bustling around in power suits, making some seriously sweet dollar, whilst not having to worry about air conditioning, nuclear wars, environmental devastation, or burst water mains. They are, concludes Hef, simply biding their time and learning from our mistakes. Brian Weger has come to the conclusion that not only is a vague sense of annoyance the natural state of all human existence, but that that very fact was in fact key to humanity's spectacular progress up the evolutionary rankings. Being knocked off about stuff made early humans think of solutions and improvements to try and make them less annoyed, explains Brian. Like, for example, the door, to make caves less irritatingly vulnerable to burglars and dinosaurs. Or the wheel, to make us less pissed off that we kept being outrun and mauled to death by saber-toothed tigers and giant whippets. Or the underpants, for very obvious reasons. Chris Blakely agrees and adds that being vaguely annoyed about stuff is generally way more useful as a human being than having opposable thumbs or having discovered how to do agriculture. Thumbs tend to end up being twiddled to no discernible purpose, argues Chris, whilst agriculture is all very impressive, but we can get food from supermarkets now, so it's probably had its day. A vague sense of annoyance, however, is a key productivity driver, alongside its evolutionary siblings, a furious sense of injustice and a rapacious sense of entitlement. On the subject of vague feelings, Matt Shakespeare wonders whether there is a piece of terminology in the field of psychoanalysis that describes that feeling when you're being run over by a rhinoceros in your sleep. None of the current terms I'm aware of quite do it justice, says Matt, who has also pledged to stop watching both nature documentaries and motor racing in the hour and a half before bedtime every night. And that is the end of this week's Lies. Hi, it's producer Chris from The Bugle here. Did you know that I have a new series of my podcast, Richie Firth Travel Hacker, out now? It's the show where Richie Firth and I talk about how to make travel better in our very special way. In this series, we discuss line bikes, Teslas, the London Overground, and a whole bunch of other random stuff that possibly involves wheels or tracks or engines of some variety. God, what a hot sell this is. I mean, you, you, you must be so excited. Listen now.